Hi, this is Yitz Greenberg, and I'm here to read you the Dvar Torah for Parshat Bamidbar. The title is The Limits of Numbers. The fourth book of the Torah, Bamidbar and the Desert, is a narrative of the 40-year Exodus journey with its repeated failures. It is also called Chumash HaPikudim, the book of counting in rabbinic literature. It starts with the census of the Jews who left Egypt and subsequently died in the wilderness, it closes with the count of the next generation, which grew up during the trek and is poised to enter the land of Canaan. The opening census is surprising. The Torah already reported the number of Jews departing Egypt as around 600,000, not counting children. The Midbor's narrative starts only 12 and a half months later. So why count again so soon? Counting Jews can be a dangerous business. At the end of the second book of Samuel, we are told, that King David ordered a census by direct people count, and that brought the punishment of a plague on the Israelites. In contrast, in the census conducted after the terrible breach of the covenant and the incident of the golden calf, Moses specifically did not count people directly. Rather, each and every adult person was asked to give a half-shekel coin. The coins were then counted to arrive at the actual population number. As a result of this census, there was no punishment at all. Similarly, when trying to establish whether a minion was present so that prayer services could include Dvarim Shebek matters of special holiness such as Kedusha or Torah reading, popular Jewish traditional culture sensed this objection and avoided counting individuals in the synagogue. Instead of enumerating individuals, people would recite a 10-word verse, applying each word to an individual present. Hoshia 1, Et 2, Amecha 3, Uvarech 4, Et 5, Nechlatecha 6, Urein 7, Vinasein 8, Ad 9, Olam 10. Even more famously, people would establish the presence of a minion by counting not 1, not 2, not 3, until getting to not 10. So why is there a negative attitude to the recounting of people? There is actually a substantive theological issue involved. The human being is an image of God. This means that each individual is of infinite value, equal and unique. Counting an individual implies that we have delimited the person. We have established their parameters and can classify them by common characteristics as if all people are one type. We can now add one to another in the category of population registry. We should be forever exploring the unlimited dignity and never reach its limit enough to then lump the person with others as if they were similar units. Furthermore, such a count constitutes a kind of denial of people's uniqueness. For the purposes of the census, we bracket the infinite value and hold the uniqueness while we agglomerate all the people. This is useful for administration, taxation, and other services. While we justify the count for utilitarian reasons, this process is an encroachment on the most fundamental dignities with which God has endowed all humans. This avoidance of counting may sound like folk superstition or playful exaggeration. But in the Holocaust, the Nazis grasped that turning people into numbers alone was a way of degrading and devaluing them. The acme of dehumanization in the Holocaust was achieved by turning the prisoners in Auschwitz and other concentration camps into numbers. Once the number was tattooed on them, 
prisoners and the guards were punished if they called people by their actual name, for that would honor their dignity and value. Numbers expressed their facelessness, their dispensability, to be replaced by yet another less-than-human numbered prisoner. Let me stop here and add in a very important footnote. A census or any government counting is not to be compared to Nazi policies in any way. I denounce the meretricious use of Nazi analogies to oppose the government restrictions during the COVID-19 lockdowns. Such debasing language is outrageous and it's cheapening the meaning of the horror of the Holocaust. Nevertheless, we should be alert that all counting or objectification of human beings impinges someone on their dignity, and such steps can be turned by evil people into grave assaults on human value. Why then did Moses and Aaron count the Jews again at the beginning of the actual trek through the desert? I submit that for the two Lydia's, this was a celebration of the Exodus, an expression of triumphalism at liberating so many people from slavery. One can imagine the exhilaration of Moses and Aaron's felt when they added up and found the total number of Israelites to be 603,550, not even counting the Levites, see Numbers 232. Consider that when Jacob's family came down to Egypt, it comprised a total of 70 people, including Joseph and the family already there. For the two brothers, the census was the exclamation point on a demographic explosive growth by the children of Israel. This, this amazing result illuminates the sad implications of the second census in Numbers. Moses and Aaron undoubtedly projected that the remarkable growth of the Israelites would continue, and they would soon reach the ideal numbers promised to Abraham when he became a Jew. Quote, count the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your seed be numerous. In fact, the final count showed a total of 601,730. This essentially zero population growth. The leadership failed to see that projecting present trends indefinitely in the future frequently leads to grave distortions and unanticipated outcomes. There is a classic problem of Wall Street analysis. A company grows initially and quickly, so its development is projected ad infinitum. The annals of bankruptcy are littered with the bones of super stocks that were simply flash in the pan. Moses and Aaron's second era was their failure to factor in the quality dimension of people. True, size does matter. Large numbers of Israelites would support more projects and capabilities and promised a large fighting force that could quickly conquer the land of Canaan. However, they failed to see that the Exodus generation was fatally flawed with the slave mentality. People were afraid of making independent judgments for which they would have to put their lives on the line. Unlike free people, they were unprepared to take on high risks for which they had no guarantee of success. Hence, the Israelites balked and panicked at the idea of entering Canaan directly and conquering a homeland. Imbued with the psychology of slaves, they were thrown by unexpected difficulties or phased by being faced with new routines. They withdrew into themselves or sat and grumbled when there were shortages of water or less than tasty food supplies or any out-of-the-ordinary requirements. Not only did the Exodus generation not thrive in the wilderness, they were out of sorts most of the time. They took on less tasks. They had smaller families. In the end, they accomplished little of the grand plans that the leadership had in mind. By the end, Moses and Aaron were burned out. Only a new generation and new leadership could consummate the dreams and plans of the Exodus cohort. The sad paradox of the Book of Numbers is that a whole generation died out and a new generation was born and raised, but Jewish life basically marched in place. In the end, the numbers misled, 
or maybe I should say, led nowhere. In his summary of his life, Moses spoke to the Jewish people and said they were about quality, not numbers. Quote, the Lord did not desire to love you or choose you because you were numerous, for you were among the fewest of all the nations, close quote. To this day, the Jewish impact on world civilization has not been by the numbers. Christianity and Islam became the monotheistic mass religions that conquered the world. In secular realms, Jews have had extraordinary impact on modern and postmodern civilization due to the remarkable achievements of a small number of quality individuals who reshaped understanding of the world or reimagined whole fields of human activities in business, science, and culture. The Jewish state Israel similarly is disproportionately influential to its size and numbers because it has transformed deserts into green or gone against what most other nations' attitudes by absorbing unlimited numbers of immigrants. I do not intend here to dismiss quantitative analysis or deny the importance of demography. It is true that the future of the Jewish communities in diaspora is in danger due to low birth rates and high assimilation rates. Quantitative studies and analysis are needed to detect weaknesses and to assess what aspects of Jewish life and culture are working and which are not. Nevertheless, the future of Judaism is dependent on developing a higher quality content of the Jewish way of living, one able to flourish and attract peoples in the presence of one of the most attractive, influential, and advanced civilizations of all time. Counting only gives us part of the story. It is also critical that Jewish culture and religion absorb and integrate some of the profound insights and breakthroughs of the general culture. The Jewish way must be articulated in the language of the current high civilization. This means that the present massive sector of Jewish life occupied by Orthodox and traditional Judaism will have to widen its ideas and reformulate its, its, its values in a manner more respectful of the general culture and more illuminated by those best insights of the culture. The more progressive religious and secular streams will have to reinforce their informal Jewish structures and values to assure their continuing distinctiveness in the midst of integration. The Pew Research Study of American Jewry suggests that the liberal streams, which numerically dominate American Jewish life, are heading for a demographic crash unless they step up the intensity and quality of their Jewish life. The key to a successful assurance of Judaism's future in postmodern civilization will be the development of a core population that is steeped in Jewish memory and values in a manner that internalized and freely chosen so that it thrives in the presence of dynamic other religions and cultures. Aaron and Moses failed in their attempt to upgrade the quality of the Exodus generation's Jewish life. We cannot afford to lose. This is where our communal investments and special efforts should be focused. 